You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon everyone and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Uh, This is Mary Woods and today we have with us as a guest is Gabrielle Dean who's a licensed clinical social worker and we're going to be talking about women and addiction. Gabrielle likes to be called Abby, which um, <laughs> works for me. And um, let me just tell you a little something about Abby. Uh, she's a social worker with nearly 20 years of professional experience. She's on the staff of, of Right Turn Incorporated as a clinical director. Currently in private practice, she specializes in treating women with addictions and mental health disorders. Her resume includes leadership positions at Heart House, a residential program for opiate-addicted women, and their children, Women's Hope and Emerson College. With two master's degrees from Boston University, one in public health and one in social work, Abby is particularly qualified to develop and manage programs for Right Turn and to talk with us today about women and addiction. And I think it's really interesting that you have two degrees, one in public health and one in social work, because um, addiction is is really a public health um, illness, and it's one that affects people of all races and genders and ages, and uh, we, but we don't approach it from that perspective. We approach it, especially for women, from a much more moral perspective. That's right. Thank you, Mary, for having me, and thank you for including me on your show. Um, the public, the dual degree was really interesting because much of my life I was a social worker and I was in, you know, providing direct service and case case management and traditional social work things early on in my career. And one day I had an interview at a, at a substance abuse agency. And I went into the interview, and one of those interviews you just totally are mortified by. He said, why haven't you used your public health degree yet? Instead of like, oh, tell me about yourself. So it was like, so that was his approach. And it was very useful for me to think of... Um, the individuals I'd been treating all along as part of a big public health problem. And since then, I've used my degree to more focus on program design and interventions that meet the needs of the specific group that I see come through. And over the years, most recently, it has been um, a lot of women's treatment because women are a group that are not treated I mean, the programs are often focused on needs of their children. Um, You know, women get into treatment because a judge says that they need to because they will lose their children, Um, and not very much understanding that women's treatment needs to be a little different than men's treatment. And I think what the other thing that's been my experience is is that um, as a society, we see women in terms of their role, whether it's a mother... Um, a wife, a homemaker, but women usually don't internalize that they're worthwhile just for themselves. You know, if if they're functioning in a role, then they have some type of worth. So I think it makes it extremely hard for women and for society in general to just think about, wow, you know, this person deserves help or this person um, needs, needs to be in treatment. Well, it's one of the reasons that a lot of women have trouble with traditional recovery models of, 
you know, put yourself first and you need to come first because women often can't. We often get phone calls from women who, yeah, I'd love to come into treatment, but my mother's sick. And when it comes to taking your mother to the doctor or going to your meeting, you're going to take your mother to the doctor. Um, and I think women... So the women, therefore, put their needs second, so don't ask for help nearly as much. Women seek help about half as much as men, which makes the statistics look like that they are net less less in need, but I don't know if that's the case. I think they're just more hidden. You know, I, I know resources vary from state to state, but at one point in New Hampshire there was actually a woman's halfway house, of which we don't have any more, but at one point we had one halfway house. And in order for the women to come in with children who um, needed, wanted recovery and needed extra support, they had to go into the court system and be declared an unfit mother so that their kids could be put in foster care. So, I mean, what a huge dilemma for someone. It's like, do I... Do I give my kids up so I can get treatment, or do I continue um, to try to do the best I can and with the ultimate having my children taken away anyway? And it's just, you know, it's kind of like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Oh, definitely. I mean, facing a loss of child of your children, I mean, I know I've seen it happen where that was the wonderful thing about Heart House and the other residential programs where the women and their kids were in treatment together. That was wonderful because then as the mother gets better, she gets to keep her children. But DSS, that's our local child protective services, you know, wasn't, you know, always in agreement with what the plan was. And so that was always really hard. And I've also seen people so overwhelmed by their addiction in heartbreaking ways. I remember one Christmas Eve escorting a woman... You know, I have this image of the Christmas lights um, where she was going to get picked up because she just felt like her addiction had made her so unworthy as a mother that she was thought her daughter would be better off in treatment in foster care and she would and not having her as a mother. And I think the internalized losses that women get after you know facing you know facing you know judges etc. who say you know, you're an addict, you're bad, and older history than that, um, I think makes it very hard for women to be able to fight for themselves and their kids in a way that will keep their family together. And I think that there's also a double standard that, that the court system will hold a woman accountable as a mother, but they don't hold men accountable as fathers unless it comes to child support. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's that's the only accountability that they have. And right. that doesn't seem fair. Well, yeah, I mean, like, it's not, and if there's a a fight, a dispute about custody, you know, it's often the father will say something, I mean, not often, it can happen that the father will say this is what's happening, and the mother has to go through all the drug testing, but it's not mutual, it's not like, you know, and I do get, I've had a few referrals where you hear from, you know, probation officers or parole officers, I've seen women like this, they just don't get better. And it's just, I mean, they're, they're just felt to be such a con- condemnation of them right. instead of the hope that maybe this time. Well, and what do you think it is about women that there's this double standard between 
um, accessibility to treatment, um, treatment interventions? Um, well, I think I think that first of all, when you in when you interview women, they're less likely to go the direction of um, substance abuse. They're more likely to say think they have a mental health problem and get treatment for their mental health problem. Um, they may be more likely to get. I'm sorry about that. Shouldn't do that. Um, they're more likely to get. Um, they're more likely to get uh, their treatment um, because circumstances have gotten so terrible um, instead of when things start looking bad. They're more likely to they're more likely to get prescriptions for anti-anxiety medications and stuff like that that they then become addicted to or dependent on. And it's really along the way, and I think women have a very hard time looking at themselves as having a problem because they it's just just the way men do. But I think the combination of that and thinking it's more likely to be a mental health problem and all the other um, stigmas that go with it, I think you're more likely to not get help. But the biggest thing, I think, is the going the mental health route. And what is it about addiction that's different for women? How, how do women experience addiction? Um, women tend to more likely to get addicted to prescription drugs. or I mean, they're more likely to have prescriptions written to, for them. For, for You know, I'm not feeling very good. Okay, well, why don't you try anti-anxiety or pain or those kinds of things instead of... Um, and so women are more likely to get addicted in that way. Um, they're more likely to have harsher consequences sooner because of the social stigma and the loss of your role, that if you are an addict, you lose your role as mother. You often use your pla- lose your place in the family. Um, and then um, there's also less availability of treatment, and women need treatment that is focused on women. Um, I'm just, I mean, I've run a program that had pregnant women in it, and it is just so hard for women to stay in treatment. Here they are pregnant, and they've lost every part of the, you know, what you picture your life should be like if you're a pregnant woman. You know, there's not, if you're in treatment, you're not home, and you're, you know, white picket fence, and your wonderful family, and it's just, I mean, I think for women, it's just a huge, huge stigma associated with it, and so they don't ask for help. And then when they get it, it needs to, if it's not focused towards them, they tend to leave very easily. Um, We know that uh, women tend to um, get into treatment earlier than men, and usually once they're in treatment, they they do quite well Mm -hmm. um, if the treatment is focused on women's needs. And um, men do really well in treatment when it's around an activity. You know, when, yep. um, you know, I know David Powell has a, a new book out about, you know, doing drumming and activities and, and how men really are able to process information better that way. And, and women were much more um, feeling oriented. Yes. You know, and I can remember being in a, in a mixed group in a, in a uh, 30-day 
uh, treatment program and doing feelings group. And, you know, you'd say to one of the guys, well, how are you feeling today? And they had this look of panic, like, don't ask me that question. Ask fine. Me anything other than that, fine or good. And then women were just very comfortable saying, well, you know, I'm really pissed off because this person just said this to me and, you know, and 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 they emoted a lot more. So... Yeah, I, I think that's true, and I, that's why women do better in single-sex groups and men do better in co-ed groups. Right. And we'll be right back to talk more about women and addiction with Abby Dean um, in just a moment. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. If you're looking for a better way to clean the air in your home or office, you need the all-new ozone light. It's as simple as changing your light bulbs. The ozone light looks like a normal spiral type of light bulb. It screws in most standard light sockets, but it's not a normal light bulb. It's coated with titanium dioxide. It's completely safe, but this unique coating kills most airborne bacteria, mold spores, and neutralizes odors. Just one light cleans the air in an entire room and lasts eight times longer than the normal light bulb. If you have smokers, if you have allergies, if you have pet odors, mold, or mildew, you need the ozone light. It will wipe them out, and you have our word. If you're not satisfied with the way the ozone light cleans the air in your home, simply return it for a full refund. Here's the number to call to order. 800-380-4259. 800-380-4259. Save up to $100 now. 800-380-4259. 4259 a fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Abby Dean, who is a licensed clinical social worker about women and addiction. And um, if anyone has anything they would like to add to our conversation or any um, thoughts that contradict what we're saying, we welcome you to call in. Once again, the number is 866-472-5792. Before we went to the break, we were talking a little bit about um, how men and women experience treatment differently. But we also know that the the data around um, women in addiction is um, a little different as well. And Abby, do you have any of that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, one, I mean, some of the statistics I find kind of overwhelming is when they they did the household surveys um, of people in the country, and you'd say, how much do you drink, and, and those kind of things. About 7.5 million people in this country um, 
were estimated to have what was considered a drug problem. And um, 82% of the people didn't get any treatment in that year. Um, and when they looked into it, they wanted to know why, and it was one of the major answers that why they didn't get treatment is 91% felt they did not need it, even though it was interfering with their lives. Um, women is women have the same number, I mean, have the same problem. Um, and the reasons they gave, which I thought was really interesting, is um, about 30% admitted didn't they didn't, feel like they had a problem. Another 30%, I think it's 32%, felt there was a lack of support from family members to get treatment. And uh, 27% said it was because they were treating it through mental health services. And I thought that was very interesting, the way women, men tend to not feel like they have a problem, and women, even if they know they have a problem, can't get services, about two-thirds of them. Um, pregnant women, 5.2% have used illicit drugs in the past month, and I thought that was kind of amazing. And non-pregnant women, about 16.2% have used in the past month. Um, and that's for just the general population. Um, women, when, when they're asked about their substance abuse, not use, substance abuse, often report about half as high numbers as men. But a lot often, and that is because they are being prescribed medications that they are taking for abuse. I mean, they are abusing, but they don't feel like they are because it's being prescribed. I have run a group for pregnant women, and one of the pregnant women would, had come into the group, and she had a friend who had been on a benzodiazepine for two years postpartum. Now, it's not a good thing to be on a long time. It's not, but she wouldn't have been considered someone who would consider it had that she was abusing drugs because it was being prescribed, but she was using it because she couldn't get off of it anymore. And those kind of statistics kind of mask women's addiction. So, like, when you look at a statistic that says, you know, typical human being between the ages of 1849, about 15% of the males and 8% of the women have drug abuse. Pro I mean, have drug abuse problems. But that's being a lot of the mental health treatment and stuff is hiding. I would guess more many of the women. Um, and women tend to report drinking about 10% less than men. Um, and I think that may that's probably pretty accurate. But what I find is that. The definition of abuse by a woman would be very different than the definition of abuse by a man. Women also get into addiction in different ways and tend to get more extremely in trouble early on physically. Um, women's bodies just aren't able to handle many of the substances as men and, and end up addicted sooner and ended up with health problems sooner. You know, one of the things that I've noticed, um, I, I teach a course at the University of New Hampshire once in a while on addiction, and my last year my class um, was telling me about how a lot of them, you know, they're stay-at-home moms, and one of the things they do is they have play group, and then moms, the moms sit in the kitchen and drink wine. 
you know, and, right. and now this has become, you know, part of, you know, ur- well, you know, suburban America is that, you know, it's considered sophisticated, you know, it's very sophisticated to be drinking wine during the day with your girlfriends while, you know, your kids are playing or the whole sex in the city with the martini right. thing. You know, it's become very sophisticated to be drinking martinis and, and um, you know, it's the... The social pressure is so subtle, yet when the when a woman be, develops a substance use disorder or an addiction, it's like everybody turns on them. Oh yeah, I see, and and they lose they lose everything. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, um, the, there was a book out last year that I just I didn't read, and I loved the title. It was the Three Martini Playdate, and it was just like, I mean, I I think there. I mean, in the set. 70s and 60s, there was the whole idea of the mother's little helper. It still exists. It's still out there. Um, in some some cases, I think what we're seeing more of is the opiates and Ultram um, as a way of kind of dealing with the misery and loneliness of or, or the isolation of being a mother. And, um, you know, you, if you have a back problem or... It's not hard to get any medications. Um, the trouble is they're really hard to stop using. Right, and I think women in general, um, our roles enable us to be very isolated. When we're moms and we're at home, we're very isolated. If we're successful working women, we're very isolated. And, if, and whereas men um, from an early on have been able to socialize in groups, they're on teams, they play mm-hmm. sports, They, you know, the whole group thing is, is much... I think easier for men than it is for women. I think. I mean, I I think groups are more familiar for men, and I mean, with sports. I mean, I think it's probably a little different now that women have gotten more into sports than when I was younger. And um, but I do think men are more comfortable being competitive. They're taught it's okay, and in groups, they're more. So when they're in a recovery group, if it gets a little competitive or it gets a little, you know, antsy or people are being confrontational, women tend to pull away and men who are used to this tend to kind of benefit from this. You know, I think, you know, the confrontation, the um, in-your-face, old-fashioned treatment approach. And I think for women, it's just like more shame and more guilt. And I remember... um, a research project done on mothers and what they felt they needed. And women felt like they needed three things. One was more help, the other one was more time, and the third one was more patience. And if you could take a medication that would give you those three things, or at least the patience part, or the not caring so much about time, um, it's going to meet a lot of mom's needs. So it's not as... And alcohol is one of those perfect ones. And it's socially acceptable. Right, right. And often uh, sophisticated and glamorous at the same time. Yeah, uh, one of my clients was telling me recently how she um, was looking through um, a, a catalog of fancy furniture. And she counted 36 glasses of wine on the tables, not including when they were selling their wine glasses. So, I mean, and I, you know, you forget these things and then all of a sudden someone in early recovery reminds you that it is everywhere, the reminder of how you're supposed to behave and what you're supposed to be able to handle. 
You know, there um, there are two major schools of thought about treatment um, for women. One is is that gender specific treatment in a segregated environment is better than um, an integrated treatment with males and kind of a universal, um, you know, form of treatment that women can work out their issues with men with having men in the groups and having men in treatment. I'm wondering what your experience has been. Well, it's really interesting because, <coughs> excuse me, the, I think it's, I mean, it's the same debate about women's schools and colleges. Um when women are in a residential treatment program and it's just women, and that's I've I've run both co-ed and just or been involved in both. And when it's just women, the discussions and the tensions are different. Um, Gender-specific treatment: women tend to not drop out because they find a relationship. They tend to express more feelings, but they also tend to um, get in more... I mean, I think they get in a lot of conflict. And I think it's also not real, because as soon as you walk out the front door, if you have a month of sobriety under your belt, or even three months, because most treatment isn't as long as it should be anymore, um, you're going to have to face all that. And I remember one day, after running a residential treatment program, a family had been in there for a very long time. They had done really well. The mom had nine months sober, and she was going back home to be with, you know, her old apartment, which was with her husband and her three kids. And I remember them driving down the street, and I felt like we'd helped her with her sobriety, but we hadn't helped her kind of prepare for the next step as well as I'd hoped. So we we did a lot more pulling as people were in treatment longer, pulling family members in a lot more and planning for what you're going to do, you know, day three when there's tension with your husband or those kind of things. So I think treat, I think people, women do much better when other family members are involved. Um, research shows that. So if you can do it in a gender-specific program and then have family group and couple therapy and all that, it may work. It may work a lot better, but I think kind of isolating people from relationships with men or family members maybe early might work, but long term it just I felt like we had left people a little unprepared. Um, how would you define gender gender specific treatment? Gender specific treatment usually has two components. One is um, it's it is primarily women, but it's also focused on what other people perceive as women's needs. Um, I've had a lot of success with gender-specific kind of social model treatment where women kind of define more of what they felt like they needed. Um, and it was, it's been really, it was really interesting over the years seeing kind of combining those two. And, I, you know, I think that gender-specific treatment probably needs to use women's input a little more when it's implemented. Um, We'll be right back with more on women in addiction with uh, Abby Dean. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Samaritan Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show. For women, men, children, and families, Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone, to One Hour at a Time. Our guest today is Abby Dean, and we're talking about women and addiction. And before going on to our break, we were talking about gender-specific treatment, and um, which kind of reminded me as you were talking about um, how sometimes people define for women what their treatment needs are. And, and much like how society defines our roles, we define on, well, this is what a, a woman in recovery looks like. And I think that sometimes there's there's less tolerance for a variety of um, kind of uh, looks for women than there are for men. And um, like I can remember once having a woman in treatment who was a quote unquote biker chick, and um, you know the the current thinking of the time was, well, you have to give all that up in order to get sober. But it was who she was. It was her identity, and um, she could no more give that up than she could stop breathing. But, you know, there, you know, the wisdom of the time was that, well, you can't be sober and still, you know, look and act and dress like a biker chick. And I was just wondering if, if you've ever experienced that. Well, I mean, I think there are so many bad words. I mean, not bad, that sounds, but so many negative words for women who are addicts because it doesn't, you know, you know, if oh, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm an addict. And they often, you know, it, somebody who gets sex for drugs, you know, I mean, is considered, you know, a whore. And, you know, I mean, men do a lot of manipulative things for drugs as well. Um, and people get sober. You know, I mean, I think it's always, I think it's wonderful to see, you know, running a group program where you have middle-class women and, you know, and upper-middle-class women and tough women, they have so much more in common than, you know, when they're talking about, you know, their roles and their expectations and everybody's got families and everybody has, um, 
everybody has other demands on them. And, you know, I mean, you could sit around in a group and people talk about, oh, my kids drive me nuts and it makes me so stressed and I want to drink. And, if you know, when every, everybody in the group who has kids can understand that. Um, and I find that there are ex- expectations that certain people aren't going to get sober and certain people are. I mean, I think it's often defined by drug. You know, people who use heroin, well, they're not going to get better, but and I think that's women especially. And I think that's a really dangerous way of thinking because everybody, everybody wants, nobody grows up in the morning, wakes up in the morning and say, I really want to be, you know, a heroin addict today. They just need the same, they need help to not be a heroin addict. And I think for women, um, while there is, and it's not to minimize the shame and guilt that men feel, but I think sometimes women are put in such powerless positions. And you were talking earlier about how sometimes women struggle with traditional 12-step um, yeah. help because of the quote-unquote powerlessness of the disease. But um, it's almost uh, re-traumatizing for them. Right. It's like, hey, I'm already powerless, and now I'm powerless over this. I think. I mean, I think in some of the really... Um, finding, helping women find, you know, a strong mentor, a strong, you know, somebody who they kind of admire who's sober. Um, and when you look at, like, when you look at, like, the magazines, you know, like, you know, all the celebrity magazines and they talk about addiction, you watch how they show, you know, the women who are struggling with addiction. I mean, women, you know, a, a 24-year-old who has had a, you know, career and is losing it because they're using too many drugs is not someone to be made fun of. It's someone who's, she should break your heart. Right, right. Well, I think most recently um, on the news I've heard about Maureen McCormick, who is Marsha Brady, um, mm-hmm. has written a book. And what, you know, what I'm hearing are the, the fact that, um, gee, she had sex for drugs and she had sex with uh, one of her co-stars and the, and, you know, nobody's saying about, these were young kids. How did they get the drugs? You know, they, they were really young. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, nobody's asking the questions about, well, who allowed this victimization to happen? You know? and, yeah, and who, who tolerated, I mean, people know that something's up. I mean, right. most people are aware that, that, you know, somebody in their family is not acting the same or somebody at their work, if something's a little wrong or, you know, I mean, so, and there's kind of, but she she is more likely to get blamed, I think, for this and labeled as a bad, out of control person rather than, right. you know, if if she had diabetes and was struggling with it, nobody would sit around and say, "How dare she?" Right. Um, which kind of brings us to the role that trauma plays. It's been certainly my experience that all, that a lot of women who come into treatment have a significant history of either physical abuse verbal abuse or sexual abuse. And yeah, I think I think the number of like women in treatment is like 69% had childhood abuse yeah. and 89% re- reported being abused in their lives, yeah. which is 20% getting abused after their after their 18. So I mean even that's a, I mean 69 staggering but the 20% that almost 90% of the women in treatment have been abused at some point in their lives. Women do get abused more than, or it's out more than men. I don't know the statistics. Really, none of us do. 
because women are more likely to admit to sexual and physical abuse. But just the the trauma histories, but trauma histories don't really affect outcome. It's just if there has been a lot of psychological um, symptoms associated with trauma histories, like if you also, you know, cut yourself or felt awful. So there's no difference in outcome for people with trauma history once you're in treatment. It's just that it's more likely to make you pick up drugs and alcohol to hide from the pain. I think also there are providers who who kind of minimize the trauma but really focus on the personality disorder, um, you know, the acting out behavior. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that women, you know, suffer as a result of that, whereas whereas if a man comes into treatment and he has PTSD is because he's been in the service or because um, he's witnessed a violent death or um, for a reason, everybody kind of says, okay, this guy is behaving this way because, you know, if you've been through what he'd been through, you'd, you know, you'd be like that too. Where, where women, we seem to tend to want to kind of minimize the trauma and maximize the quote-unquote personality disorder. Right. I mean, one of the things I found with treating women who used and women who haven't is that there's something about addiction that preserves kind of your sense of self. Um, And if you can get good treatment when you get sober, you can really, you know, you haven't done, like you can be 27 and haven't dealt with your trauma history, but if it's part of your treatment, if you get good treatment around your your trauma, you have a really good chance of recovering and not having done the damage that someone who hasn't figured out a, a way to medicate themselves. As much as I don't recommend it, it would be better to get it dealt with early on, it does seem to make it so that people are in emotionally better shape when they're a little older. I think it's really difficult to be um, a late adolescent dealing with your own and the early adult dealing with your own sexuality with a trauma history. And there's something about numbing yourself that seems to help them. I also do think that labeling someone as a personality disorder is a way of keeping, you know, them out of treatment. I mean, out of good, detailed treatment. And if somebody's, like, taking too many pills or taking, you can, and you write it off, they're not going to get the drug treatment. I also think that a lot of Clinicians in you know in the world don't ask people about substance abuse, or they don't know what to do. I recently referred someone to couples therapy, and they found someone. And when they the couple came in, and she said, "I don't know how to deal with addiction," and was you know it directly affecting you know ten to twenty percent of the population, and indirectly affecting almost all of us. It just seems like. It's a responsibility to have is that you need to, it's part of the world. Right. Um, well, it kind of speaks to the way a lot of disciplines are trained. Um, I know mm-hmm. in New Hampshire, social workers aren't required to take addictions course. You know, really? and they can get their MSW and never have had an addictions course. So doctors, you know, aren't required. Nurses aren't required. So. Right, and the I don't like working with them yeah. stigma is just, you know, Yep. You probably are as we speak. <laughs> they just right. haven't mentioned it to you. Right. right. I 
a number of years ago I went to um, my doctor for a physical, and this is the first time I had met this person. And she was a young woman, and she said to me, oh, you don't look like the type of woman that drinks. <laughs> I said, excuse me, are you asking me whether I drink or not? And then I went into this whole, like, uh, advocacy about, you know, what kind of assumptions are you making, you know? Um, you don't look like, I mean, yeah, you don't look like the kind of person who would be in recovery. Well, go to a meeting any right. anywhere, and you will see you will see people you know. Right. So in terms of, like, we were talking a little bit um, a couple times about the powerlessness that women feel and how that sometimes gets in the way of their accessing 12-step groups. What is effective for women? Actually, treatment's effective for women, but um, it's, but women's, it needs to be more, women's, women's treatment is very effective for women. I mean, research shows that programs that focus on women's unique needs. Women women and men are different. I mean, they're different how they are built, they're different how they're socialized, and they're different how they experience addiction, both mentally and physically. And um, the first thing you have to be aware of, especially when you look at this trauma history, is you don't, you need to make people a safe place for women. It needs to be somewhere a woman feels safe. So AA and NA if it's a women's group, um, may you know may be the best way for many women to get break. I mean, get um, sober. On the other hand, a men's group where they can, I mean, a very male-oriented group, you know, even if it's you know an open where anybody's allowed to go, may work for different women. And I think um, there's not a model that works 100%. It does show that women who can be in at least some gender-specific treatment tend to feel that it meets their needs more. And that doesn't mean that, you know, some have to go in the co-ed groups, but there needs to be some focus on women's unique needs because women do have unique needs. Well, they're physically different. Um, Women are often in the roles we've been talking about and also just socialization. Women are more likely to be, if, if they're in a men's group, they're more likely in some, a man's having trouble, they're more likely to do the caretaking of the man rather than look after their own needs. And we'll be right back to talk more with Abby about women and addiction. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Abby Dean, who's a licensed clinical social worker and the clinical director at Right Turn about women in addiction. And before going to break, we were talking about women's unique needs and what works for them. And uh, um, Abby, could you share with us a little bit more about what's effective for women? Well, as I mentioned before, a safe place to... Um, to be able to focus on yourself without guilt. Um, so, and and um, more social, more social model, more relational model. There's been a lot of research from the um, from Wellesley about um, different kinds of approaches to women's treatment, which is more inclusive, and it's it's called relational a relational model, and more inclusive and more. Um, Helping people find the words to express things, how to teach, um, and uh, how to teach people, how to, women how to express themselves in ways that don't feel, they don't feel like they have to get totally angry beforehand. So, um, what I've seen as a great combination is a combination between relational, relational model and, um, more, um, some of the kind of more behavioral, dialectical behavioral therapy, which teaches women how to have a voice and gives them very concrete skills and, um, you know, how to, how, to, how to tell the guy who gypped you on ice cream that he gypped you on ice cream without making you feel guilty and without making you feel like you had to lose your temper. And, you know, helping women learn specific skills like that. I mean, that's a small model, but just the end, how to learn how to manage situations and and interpret situations as they are. So, you know, I think it's very important to give women specific skills that they usually don't end up learning in their life, assertiveness, things like that. Right, and help them, if they are in the role of a mother, help them reclaim who they were before they became a mother because oftentimes we give up hobbies, we give up... um, a lot in our role as moms to mm-hmm. do all that caretaking. Yeah, and and you need to preserve who you are. I mean, you need to have a sense of who you are and preserve it. And I mean, and at Right Turn, we really try to help people pull in some of their creative aspects. We have um, creative groups. We have women's groups. We also have some women's NA groups. And one of the groups we have is. Um, adult child groups based on, like, Claudia Black and the West Coast. But we have someone who came in from the West Coast who said, let's do this. And it's a lot of women trying to cope with their past and what their past living in an alcoholic family or a drug-addicted family has, how it has affected their roles and who they are and kind of their themselves as children and now themselves as adults and mothers. Um, and that I found that group is really interesting. That's um, an organic group started by someone here. We also are trying to get people, we're tr- pulling in more um, complementary therapies, kind of um, yoga, ways that women can kind of move and get in touch with 
their physical selves. I think, you know, when you are in the role of caretaker, which many of us are, you lose touch with um, who you are physically. I mean, basic, like get yourself five minutes of quiet a day. Um, and then, and you know, we really think that because of Ray Turn's approach for create, we have a creative treatment, so we like to have a lot of expressive therapies. Then a lot of women... Um, I actually had a woman come in saying, you know, because it was in a group for people who wanted to be creative and understood creativity, that they felt like it wasn't as important that it be all women, but it be all people that they could feel safe with and understood how being creative was part of their identity. And that's part of what you're saying about keeping in touch with your identity. Could you explain to the um, audience a little bit about Right Turn and, and what, you know, who you work with and how it was founded? And... Right Turn was founded about five years ago by um, Woody Giesman, who was a drummer for the Del Fuegos. And he um, he felt like there was that there was something missing for him, and it was very hard, especially for him as a musician, to figure out how to help friends be sober and then they would play in bars or help people learn get in touch with their writing again but whenever they wrote they were under the, you know they were drinking and so he first started it with the idea of treating creative people in recovery so you know treating creative people and then what it turns out is that kind of the more expressive therapies and the more um kind of being in touch with that part of you and not just kind of processing was a wonderful complement to traditional AA and NA. And people would come and seek it out even if they were not creative. So we provide, you know, very in the first 30, 60, 90 days, very intensive treatment. We have groups. We have individual treatment. We have family therapy. We have a family family groups. Um along with NA, AA, ACUA, all on the same site. So people can get a real, come here and get a, a real variety of treatment. Um, and then as people progress in treatment, they, um, you know, might come in less often. But we, we try to engage people early on. You know, our, we, we do not judge if people are using relapse is all part of treatment. We've heard horror stories about people getting kicked out of treatment for relapsing, and we feel like, hey, it happens, you know. And so it's all about engaging, providing creative, high-quality treatment. You know, some people are really ready to quit when they walk in the door. I am ready. I'm done. And some people are thinking about quitting, and some people are only thinking about quitting because their mother made them come in. Um, and we will work with any anybody, people at any any lef- level of readiness for change. Um, where are you located? We're in Arlington, Massachusetts, and um, we have a wonderful website, which is right-turn.org. And um, I think one of the things we really like is that we try to be inclusive of any treatment model that works for people. So if people feel like they just want to go to Smart Recovery and come to some groups, that's fine. If they're on, and we also, you know, if they're on medications or Suboxone, which we also prescribe, um, and 
want to go to groups and therapy, that's fine. We really want people to reach them wherever they are. It's, you know, the old traditional social work model, be where the client is at. And for women who are looking for treatment, where is a good place for them to go to find resources? Well, I think a lot. there's been a lot of cuts. That's one of the things that's kind of sad. But um, CAB, which is um, CAB Health and Recovery, has some very interesting women's programming and has over the years. We have some. We're working on more. Um, and there are a few, actually, in the Massachusetts area um, for different, like... Um, Alianza España, um, a few of them, but mostly I think it's there's not enough, and I think there should be tons more. I mean, that's obviously the major thing so we all come up with. If someone is looking to um, for a treatment provider for a woman, what typically what are the types of questions that uh, the family member or the woman herself should be asking to kind of um, weed out who's who gets it and who doesn't? Um, I. I think, I mean, I think if you're calling for residential or long-term treatment, um, most of those you'd have to go through a detox in the women's holding. But, um, and I think you just say, I, I'm, I would really feel more comfortable in the women's treatment program. It sounds like it would probably meet my needs better. It will be very hard to find. Um, most detoxes are co-ed. At least in Massachusetts, um, much treat. Oh, and there's another agency that's very not useful, which is very useful, and that's the Institute for Health and Recovery in Cambridge. And they're a very women fo- women's focused organization, and you know they monitor some of the more the beds for people, women who are being committed by their family, but also they're. Um, they're kind of the women's treatment providers, you know, they're kind of the leader of it, trying to pressure agencies to provide more women's treatment. They're a great organization. And so for um, things that women should consider or families should consider, first of all, is um, do they have a gender-specific group? Um, do they have gender-specific groups? Is that something, I mean, is this someone who tends to drop out of treatment because they get in a relationship with a man, um, you might want you know that might be something to look for. Um, and there are there are lots there are a few agencies that provide a lot of services for women. Um, this hour has flown by, and I want to thank Abby Dean um, from Right Turn for sharing this hour with us and talking about women and addiction. Um, we need to continue to strive for more programs for women and to uh, destigmatize addiction for women. So thank you all. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.